You're listening to the Britpop Show, sponsored by Creation Day Festival, playing the best and the rest of Britpop. You are indeed listening to the Britpop Show, and we're going to start this week with something from The Verve because it is 25 years since The Verve released Urban Hymns. But normally we do a whole show about that, but we can't this week. Do you know why? Because this week we have Mark Billingham, award-winning crime writer, in the studio with us. If you have any questions, let us know, because Mark will be with us immediately after this. All this talk of getting on It's getting me down, my love Like a cat in a bag Waiting to drown This time I'm coming down And I hope you're thinking of me As you lay down on your side Now the trucks don't work They just make you worse But I know I'll see your face again Now the trucks don't work They just make you worse But I know I'll see your face again But I know I'm on the losing streak As I pass down my old street And if you want to show just let me know and I'll sing in your ear again Now the trucks don't work They just make you worse But I know I'll see your face again This baby Again. 
Of course, the drugs don't work by the verve. Now, we should have on the line, as promised, Mark Billingham, famous crime author. Mark, are you there? I am here. Yes. I was trying to say to you off air, without sounding too gushy, that I'm a big fan of yours. We've had, <coughs> I've read every single one of your books, apart from the latest one, because it's only out on hardback now. I'm not made of money. <laughs> um, the paperback is out, is out soon. But I want to start at the beginning. Yeah. You started out as a comedian. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, only because I was a sort of failed actor. I started out as an actor. That's what I really wanted to do when I was sort of, uh, well, from the age of about 16, really. So I studied drama and then did a bit of acting, you know, did did a bunch of telly and stuff, ironically playing a lot of coppers on, you know, and hoodlums and villains on The Bill and Dempsey and Makepeace and Juliet Bravo and all all those kind of shows. You're way too young to remember, David. Um and, uh, you know, once the, once the acting starts to dry up, you think, well, this is no job for a grown man. And around the same time, I started going to see a lot of comedy. This was in the sort of mid-80s, when it was just starting to get big, um, you know, stand-up alternative comedy. And started doing that, and within six months, I was playing at the Comedy Store. It was quite easy to get into then, much easier than it is now. And so, yeah, did stand-up for the best part of 20 years. Um, but still reading a lot of crime fiction, hanging out on the fringes of the crime fiction community, never quite thinking I'd ever get round to writing one. And then eventually, at the end of the 90s, I did. Because that's quite a big leap from comedian to crime writer. Well, you'd think, uh, you know, and, and once the book started coming out, that's the first question I would get asked is, why, you know, why does someone who tells jokes want to write these dark books? But actually, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. And you use a lot of the same techniques in st- the way you structure a crime novel that you do in the way you structure a joke. I mean, firstly, like, like with a book, you've got, to, you've got to engage your audience really quickly. You know, I could never walk on stage at the comedy store and go, stick with me, I'll get funny in about 10 minutes. You've got to be funny straight away or they'll throw stuff, right? Um, and you've got to engage your reader that quickly. And you also have to build, you have to build to various sort of climaxes, keep the entertainment coming. And also uh, you structure it the same way you structure a joke. You know, the punchline's got to come from an unexpected place. It's all about timing. It's all about when you reveal certain bits of information. So actually the years I spent as a stand-up stood me in good stead, really. But it must have, there must have been an awkward conversation with, your, with the close people around you saying, uh, you know all that comedy stuff, I'm going to start writing about people getting murdered instead. Yeah, and in fact, you know, I mean, there, there was an overlap in the in the probably the first four or five books I was still doing stand up, um, and people would go, you know, what are you doing here? You've got books out, but I could I couldn't quite quit. I couldn't quite knock it on the head. Um, I certainly didn't want to end with a bad gig, and in fact, the very final gig I did was a was a fabulous gig in all places in Bangkok. Uh, in a kind of English pub there called the Red Lion, there's there's a there's a promoter that used to take British comics out to tour over there, and it was great. It was easy. They were expats in Bangkok, you know, and it was such a storming gig. I went, that'll do, you know. I didn't want to finish up by dying on my backside at you know some grotty club at three in the morning, so I knocked it on the head then. And also, of course, in the, in the early books, 
I used a lot of comedians' names. I mean, Thorne, who is my main character, is named after my mate Paul Thorne, who's a great stand-up. And lots of comedians, eventually they'd start asking for their names to be used in books. And I'd go, is this all right? You're a predatory paedophile. And they'd go, that's fine. That's great. Go ahead. <laughs> Based on um, reality, why not? Yeah, yeah. Because um, I always thought Thorne was because, you know, it was some sort of um, uh, pun on the fact that he's quite a prickly character. Yeah, well, I mean, I did use that later on. I did think that was a kind of key to his character. But no, I just named him. I named him after uh, after Paul Thorne. In fact, a lot of the, the 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 team in the books early on, Brigstock is named after Marcus Brigstock. Kitson is named after Daniel Kitson. Holland was named after Dominic Holland. These are all comedians I'd worked with for years. So I just thought, why not? It's very hard to think of names. You'd think it'd be the easiest thing. Enter this new character, and then you can spend two hours trying to get the name right. And, and um, you're from Birmingham, so why North London? Well, because by the time I started, I'd, I'd already been living in London for sort of 25 years. I tried. I tried to write a book set in Birmingham. When I sat down and went, I'm going to have a crack at this, I started writing this kind of knockabout comedy caper set on the canal system in Birmingham. And I just couldn't I couldn't make it work because I didn't live there anymore. Um, and also there's the accent, of course. Even though I've lost mine, uh, in my head, this character's still going, all right, I'm Tom Thorne and you're Nick, mate. Um, so eventually I went, no, stick with the streets you walk down. And so I, so I started writing about London. And do you ever get people writing to you saying, well, you said that they turned left onto that street and I've checked it out and actually you can't. Oh, people will put up with, they'll put up with all sorts of, you know, fictionalized graphic serial murder. And then they'll go, I think you'll find that that train doesn't stop at that station on a Monday and a Wednesday, or, or there is no branch of Starbucks in that place where you put a fictional branch of Starbucks. People, people are very, very strange, but I love, I love getting those emails there's a, a great crime writer called chris brookmeyer in fact who's, uh, i'm in a band with and we we collect all our weird stories and letters of complaint and one star reviews and we do a whole show about them late night quite rude at book festivals i believe i've <laughs> been there you did uh, you did some sweary bingo at the end i believe oh sweary bingo yeah and, and a game show that i can't possibly tell you the name of because it's too rude i, I think i remember <laughs> it right we're going to do a bit of music and then we'll come back to you because you talked about the band we're going to talk about loads of other stuff if anybody has questions let us know but what were you doing in the 90s specifically the end of the 90s the end of the 90s i mean I, by that time i'd been writing for about 10 years so i'd have had about 10 books out um and that was a very busy time touring you know there were lots of lots of book festivals here and overseas um so trying to divide my time up between sitting down and writing which i can only do at home i can't do that while i'm traveling and then putting aside time to go off and, and shamelessly pimp the books yeah, that's fair enough. Right, so end of the 90s, you've picked a, a song, because you are the Britpop show, you've picked a song by Supergrass, Caught by the Fuzz. Is that just as obvious as I thought it would be? Well, uh, the, I have tried to, to put a decent smattering of proper Britpop into <laughs> into my selection of songs for the show. They aren't, they aren't all Britpop, but a good few of them are, and this certainly is. Um, and this, along with at least one other song I've picked, is a song that the band have considered playing. We write, we, we perform cover versions of songs to do with crime, you know, murder, the police, all that stuff, whatever. And so Caught by the Fuzz was an early suggestion. We haven't done it yet. But I also like the fact that this, like most of the other songs I've picked, there's a story. You know, the the, the fact that this happened to Gaz Coombs on a, on a bus when he was about 15 or whatever. And I love the fact that they, they did that thing of appearing on top of the pops with a picture of Hugh Grant. 
He had a picture of Hugh Grant on his T-shirt because I think they wanted to use it as the cover for the single and they were going to use this picture of Hugh Grant who had literally just been caught by the fuzz a few months before for very different reasons. Uh, but the lawyers got involved and they weren't allowed to, so they did it on top of the pops instead. Yeah, the lawyers, Hugh Grant's lawyers were very busy at the time. Right, let's hear a bit of Supergrass caught by the fuzz and then we'll talk to Mark uh, about some loads of other stuff after that. Hits from the 1990s. By the Fuzz by Supergrass. Uh, and we have with us today Mark <laughs> Billingham, who is an award winning crime writer. Mark, we've got some questions coming in, but before we get to those, your, okay. your first novel, the character in that, the main character in your first novel, a guy called D.I. Thorne. Now, you've told us where you got, the, you got the name from, but was he based on someone? No, I mean, in fact, he wasn't even supposed to be the main character, which sounds odd considering I've been writing about him for 20 odd years. Uh, the main, I wanted the main focus of that book to be on the victim of this crime, who is this girl who's trapped essentially in a sort of living coma. She can, she has locked in syndrome so she can see and hear and is completely aware of everything going on around her, but she can't move. She cannot move at all. Uh, this character called Alison Willett. So you're inside her head for the whole book, but I did, I needed a copper because there had been a crime committed. So I needed this detective. So I just slapped him on the page. I called him Tom Thorne and thought we'll see where he goes. And I was in the fortunate position 
having written, you know, 30,000 words of this book, where a few publishers wanted to publish it. There was like an auction. And I had to go in and see them all for what are called beauty contests in publishing, where you go in and you get you go into this big sort of room and there's, there's fruit and muffin baskets and all the head honchos of the publishers. They're basically trying to sort of woo you. But the first question every single one of those publishers asked was, is this the start of a series? So I went, yep. <laughs> you know, that's what you do when you're an actor, you know. People go, can you play the trumpet? You go, yeah, of course I can, thinking that I'll learn the trumpet later. So suddenly I was committed to writing this series about him when when that hadn't really been my intention. So what's the hardest part of a first novel? Well, I, I suppose it's trying to find a, a different way into a very crowded marketplace. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of crime fiction. That's why I wrote it. I still read it. Um, so I was aware of all the all the giants whose shoulders I was standing on, you know, uh, all the people that had gone before and they'd all carved out their own particular little area. I was amazed to find there wasn't too much say in London, oddly. Um, of all the series I'd read, you had, you know, the Rebus books set in Edinburgh and the, and John Harvey's Detective Resnick was in Nottingham and Peter Robinson was up north and Val McDermott was up north. And so, you know, I knew London was going to be a safe bet. I had a tricky thing when I was trying to decide what kind of music he was going to listen to. That was a, that was a tricky one because I knew it couldn't be opera that had been done or Rolling Stones or jazz because I can't stand jazz. So it's never going to be jazz. So in the end, it was country because that's, you know, what I love. So, I, you know, you have to research so many other things. Last thing I was search is what he was listening to. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that set us up nicely for the next song. And what I was going to ask you, exactly what I was going to ask you, without it sounding too rude, is how much of you is in D.I. Thorne? Not in a rude way. Oh, a lot. I mean, you know, I, I, I've got no truck with writers who try and deny this. Of course there's a lot, but... There's also a lot in the villains and the killers. You know, they're all they're all you to one degree. You have to make every character the hero of their own story. So you have to try and make them fully rounded and three dimensional. Yeah, there's a lot of Thorn that's me. We share the same birthday. We both we both support, or at least did in his case, an ailing football team. He's now supporting a team that's doing quite well. Spurs, my team, Wolves, not doing so well. well I'm, uh, a, I'm a West Ham fan, so. Oh, you did us! You did us! You did us two nil. Um, but. Country music is, is a passion we both share, especially for this gentleman who I believe you're about to play. We're about to play some George Jones. Would you like to explain uh, why you chose him? Because it's, and it's routinely called, the greatest country song uh, ever released. It's, oh my God, it's a song that still makes me cry. And it's a song that he nearly didn't release because he thought it was too miserable. And it ended up kind of saving his career. Um, it really is super miserable. It's super miserable, but it's the most brilliant story with a twist in it that any crime writer would be proud of. It's got this fantastic twist at the end when you go, oh, and I, I just what a beautiful, brilliant song it is. I'm not convinced many Britpop fans will have heard it, so let's play it, and then we'll move <laughs> on to some more. He said, I'll love you till I die. She told him you'll forget in time. As the years went slowly by, She still prayed upon his mind He kept her picture on his wall Went half crazy now and then But he still loved her through it all Hoping she'd come back again Kept some letters 
spies bear It in 1962 He had underlined in red Every single I love you I went to see him just today Oh, but I didn't see no tears All dressed up to go away First time I'd seen him smile in years He stopped loving her today It placed a reef upon his door And soon they'll carry him away He stopped loving her today You know, she came to see him one last time. Oh, and we all wondered if she would. And it kept running through my mind. This time, he's over her for good. He stopped loving her today. It Soon they'll carry him away He stopped loving her today I'm all choked up. Yeah, do you know what? It still makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to that song. It's got... Everything you'd think is wrong with with certain parts of country music. It's got the cheesy harmonies and the angelic choirs and the little voiceover. It is just a stunning, stunning piece of work. And uh, produced by Billy Sherrill, who also produced the album that got me into country music in the the first place, an album called Almost Blue by an Artist, who I believe we'll be listening to shortly. So we've had a question in. Um, Now, it says, if one of your books was made into a film, uh, who would you want to star in it? Now, of course... The first couple of books were made into a series, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, it was made into a TV series by Sky, uh, just called Thorn, starring David Morrissey, who who played Tom Thorne brilliantly. And, you know, in my head, he still is Tom Thorne. I mean, I don't don't see David when I write the books because what Thorne looks like has never really been important to me because I'm inside his, you know, looking out the world through his eyes. So I know what he thinks and what he feels about everything, but what he looks like is neither here nor there. So, you know, all you want is a good actor, David. That's all you want. And and I got one with, with, with Dave Morrissey. And what's funny is that <clears throat> with that is because often you do that and you see a, a, a film or whatever and, and suddenly the character is changed in your mind. But for me, <laughs> with Thorne, because I'd already read so many books and his his image is there... He didn't change my image of Thorne. That's good. I mean, I, I know what you mean. I mean it, it, it's impossible to, you know, if you were going to read an Inspector Morse book today, it would be impossible not to see John Thor. Um, I wonder how many people see Tom Cruise when they read a Jack Reacher book. Probably not. Probably not that many, actually. Um, but yeah, an, an actor can fix a character in your head. But the beauty of reading is 
every every reader's vision of Tom Thorne or whichever character it is is going to be different, you know. And so what's that like? Sky come knocking and say, do you know what, we'd like to make this into a series. Is that a little bit mind-blowing? Uh, yeah, I mean, do you know what? It's Everybody thinks it's all writers think about. You know, when are, when are we going to get this screen adaptation? And I, I promise you it genuinely isn't because almost every book written gets optioned for, for telly because it's a relatively cheap thing for production companies to do. So they option left, right and centre. And you get excited and they take you out for a posh lunch and you think, ooh, and then you forget about it because 99 times out of 100 it doesn't happen. I've been luckier that it's happened a couple of times. Um, and when it does, it's great because I'm a huge fan of film and television. You know, I'm as influenced by by TV as by anything I've ever read. So, yeah, to see your characters come to life on screen is great. And Richard Osman, who is, of course, the brother of Matt Osman, who plays in Suede, he's, yeah. he started writing um, books. I don't know if you know. <laughs> and uh, he says, is it supposed to be this hard? Is it? Is it hard? Uh, the, not the first one. The second one is hard, and then the third one's harder than the second one, and so on and so forth, because you're trying to write a better book. You know, it gets harder. The first one, you're just kind of writing for yourself without really knowing, you know, hoping it's going to be published, but you never know. So you just, you write what you want to write. Then then, then there starts to be sort of commercial pressures. Uh, publisher wants the book to do a bit better than the last one. You're trying to write a better plot, more engaging characters. So it gets harder. But uh, yeah, I, I understand Richard's books are doing quite well. He, uh, he, he, he took me out for lunch about four years ago and said, I'm writing a crime novel. And we sat and talked about the rules of crime fiction over some chicken wings. Uh, and it seems to have paid off for him. <laughs> I hope he paid for the chicken wings. He did. He thanks me very profusely and ignitely. Very profusely. Um, and so where do your ideas for novels? Um, that Honestly, they come from anywhere and everywhere. And you think you haven't got one. You know, you know you should be sitting down to start to write the next book. You haven't got an idea in your head. And then you hear something on the radio, just some little story on the radio, or you see something tucked away on page 12 of a newspaper, some little story. Anything that makes you ask questions, that makes you go, what, eh, what, who are these people, what are they doing? And sometimes it's two completely random ideas that collide and set off something else. I don't have to have the whole thing planned out. I mean, I'm not a planner. Yeah. So I go, I take that idea and see where it takes me and see where it takes Thorn, if it's a Thorn book. But yeah, they, they come from anywhere, ideas. So are you currently thinking about ways to murder me? I, I, no. I mean, <laughs> you know, if I was to think of one, that would be... I mean, the day you have a great idea is great. It's a good day at the office. You can take the rest of the day off. But but most of the time, you're just writing and seeing where the story takes you, you know? Yeah, right. So we're going to move on to a bit more um, Britpop. You've chosen Babies by Pulp. Yes, I have. Well, this is the first It's the first pop song I ever heard. And uh, and I only, I only recently realised that it wasn't a hit, was it? I don't think it actually was a hit for them at all. But it was the first one I heard. And again, what, what I key straight into is the story. You know, with, within 30 seconds, Jarvis is saying, this is where it happened, this is when it happened, this is what happened. You know, it happened here a long time ago when I lived here, you lived here, and I was hiding in your wardrobe, and you're going, oh, lo you know, what's going on here? I love I love songs that tell me stories, and this one does it brilliantly. Well, Jarvis even tells you what was on the wall, doesn't he? <laughs> so a, a bit of pulp, and then after that, we're going to have some of your very own musics. You're listening to The Britpop Show, sponsored by Creation Day Festival playing the best and the rest of Britpop.
when you lived on Stanford Road. We listened to your sister when she came home from school. Cause she was two years older and she had boys in her room. At least outside I heard her. Alright. Well that was alright for a while. But soon I wanted more. I wanna see as well as here and so I I hid inside her wardrobe and she came home round four and she was with some kid called David and from the garage of the road I listened outside I heard her When I saw you next day, I really couldn't tell, cause she might go and tell your mother. And so you went with me, oh yeah, me was coming on, and I thought I heard you laughing, when it's the moment that we're gone, I listened outside, I heard you. With babies, as suggested or recommended by Mark Billingham, award-winning crime writer who is with us live on the show and choosing most of the songs tonight, including the next song, which... uh... (laughs) Now, Mark, before we move into this, we had fun-loving criminals on the show a few weeks ago. Okay. We had Fast and Frank on the show. People were talking about how that, you know, Fast has this amazing New York accent. He's he's like syrupy voice. He's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. What I didn't mention to them was that maybe they should get their lawyers involved in in, in your band. Would you like to explain? 
Well, my band, the band I am part of, uh, is called the Fun Loving Crime Writers. Because we are all crime writers and it's just a stupid pun. But we still, to this day, have people coming along expressing the disappointment that we're not the fun loving criminals. Although why they thought they'd see the fun loving criminals at the Cheltenham Literary Festival or wherever it is we've been playing, I do not know. Um, so, yeah, we're a band of crime writers. Uh, and we play cover versions of songs about about crime and murder. We're just a party band, really. We 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 got together for a bit of fun back in 2016, uh, thinking this will be a bit of fun at, at festivals, at book festivals. And it all started to get a bit out of hand up to the point where we played Glastonbury in 2019, uh, which was just awesome. I mean, absolutely awesome. Um, then, of course, didn't do anything for a couple of years, but we're, we're, we're back gigging again now. I've got a, a busy year lined up next year already. And Good fun. So tell me about Glastonbury. What was your rider? Uh, oh, oh, there's a story about the rider. So firstly, I should tell you who's in the band. It, it's myself, Chris Brookmeyer, uh, Luca Veste, Doug Johnson, Stuart Neville, and Val McDermott, uh, the queen of crime, up front doing giving it giving it her best Debbie Harry. So we were so uh, absurdly grateful of being invited to play Glastonbury on the acoustic stage at Glastonbury that when they said, what's your rider? I thought, don't push it. So I, I literally just said you know, dozen cans of beer and a bottle of red wine for Val. Uh, Glastonbury 2019, it was 90 degrees. I mean, it was stupidly, stupidly hot. So you get there, and in the backstage area at the acoustic stage, there's all these fridges, just a row of fridges, which it's a great picture I've got, uh, with the band's names on. So there's our fridge, Fun Loving Crime, next to, like, Keen and Hawkwind and Nick Lowe, or of course, that was just awesome. Uh, but obviously, we drank all our beer within about 10 minutes of getting there. Uh, and uh, guitarist Stuart, who's from Northern Ireland, took a peek in some other fridges and came over and went, have you seen what's in Hawkwind's fridge? And in Hawkwind's fridge was all the alcohol you've ever seen. It just seemed to like be a TARDIS of, of beer. So we did steal a little bit of beer from Hawkwind. I'm sorry if anybody from Hawkwind is listening. Uh, but now, now we're a bit more pushy with the rider. As you should be. Uh, so when's your next gig? When's, when's the next one coming up? Uh, well, because because Val, who is who is the sort of front woman, is in New Zealand at the minute, uh, we have and, and is till the end of the year. We've got nothing now till next year. Um, so I know that next summer will be a busy summer with sort of festivals and stuff. Uh, but we just had a great run of shows uh, in Edinburgh. We did a run of shows at the at the Fringe. Um, we did six shows in seven days, which is the most we've ever done in a short period of time, and just about managed to get through it. It's such amazing fun Was because it the same this is venue? a uh, well. We did we did we did a couple of venues in Scotland, and then we came to Edinburgh and did a run of shows at the Newtown Theatre. Uh, on George Street as part of the Fringe, and I'm sure we'll be back there again next year. It was it was amazing fun. Because there's something about doing a gig where it's the same venue, and so everything's already set up, and it's just plug and play, and you, you just do a bit of a sound check, and it's all there. It wasn't quite plug and play because there were other shows happening all through the day, and we were on every night at like nine o'clock, whenever it was. So there wasn't like scrambles to get the drum kit together in time and all that stuff. But it's it's just great fun being with five mates and having fun doing this because writing is obviously a solitary thing. So getting to collaborate and, and hang out and all pretend we're rock stars at our advanced age is tremendous fun. When we played Glastonbury, Stuart was wearing a T-shirt that said best midlife crisis ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So which, tell me which, uh, which of your, which song you've chosen. Yeah, well, this was again a really early thing we recorded for uh, for the radio. Um, blimey, back in 2018, I think this is uh, down in the tube station at midnight by the Jam. Let's hear it. The distant echo of faraway voices boarding faraway trains. 
take them home to the ones that they love and who love them forever. The glazed dirty steps repeat my own and reflect my thoughts. Cold and uninviting. Ready-made applause as well. Down in the tube station at midnight by fun-loving crime writers. We've had the fun-loving criminals, the fun-loving crime writers. If there's anyone, any other band out there called fun-loving whatever, feel free to join. <laughs> fun-loving gynecologists. Why not? Let's have them. Mark, did you put that uh, at the end of the applause, or was that was that real? No, no, that, that was in front live. That was live in front of an audience in a in a radio studio. Amazing. Honestly, I didn't just I didn't just add applause. They enjoy it. Listen, I'm not Paul Weller, but I gave you the go. 
Happy with that. What's funny is I can see you on screen when you're listening, and all the other songs we've been playing, you've been really bopping along to. You've been you've been loving them, and then that one, you've got that serious. You know, the, the, I, I've been playing this, and I'm going to analyze this because here, if I got the words wrong, or if I got a note wrong, or yeah, it's uh, it, it's a complete. It's weird. It's a completely different experience playing music and, and writing books. And you don't, I don't go back. I would never go back and read a book that I've written, unless I have to if I'm recording an audio book or whatever. But why, why would I do that? That would be an awful thing to do. But I, I do go back and listen to sets we've played or stuff we've recorded, and we do that all the time just to try and, try and get better, you know? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, whenever I go on holiday, it seems to yeah. be I get to the airport and then there's one of your books looking at me in wh smith and i buy it and i read it on holiday and your latest one rabbit hole was exactly the same i read that on holiday now for those of you for those who haven't heard of mark and are thinking mm, you know 20 di thorn books seems like a bit of an investment this is a standalone novel to get into your into your books and it's it genuinely is i've read it i've read all of the other books but this one you genuinely it's a standalone do you want to just explain to everybody what it was about yeah, I mean, it is a very different book for me because because apart from being a standalone, and I have written, you know, four or five standalones, it's the first book I've written entirely in the first person. So I spend the entire book, and so does the reader, inside the head of this character, Alice Armitage, uh, DS, Detective Sergeant Alice Armitage, uh, who is investigating a murder on an acute psychiatric ward. The only tricky bit of that being that she's also one of the patients. Um, and that that's the elevator pitch in a nutshell. I mean, it's it's like a locked room mystery or an airlocked room mystery. You know, somebody, you know, somebody has been murdered on this ward and Alice has to try and find out. But she's heavily medicated. Uh, she's just coming down off meds or just taking meds. So she often doesn't know what, what what's real and what isn't. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it was a difficult book to write in a lot of ways because some of it is based on the experience of people close to me. Um but it's also the funniest book I've ever written. I know that sounds weird, but some very darkly humorous stuff happens on an acute psychiatric ward. And, and so how did you prepare for it? Did you, did you visit psychiatric wards? I did. I did. Uh, I'd been visiting psychiatric wards uh, before I, I wrote the book. Um, but then once I decided I was going to write the book, I started talking to people, you know, mental health professionals and uh, you know, finding out all the really prosaic stuff. What would the meds be? When would they be given? All that kind of stuff. And, and they tell you stories. That's the great thing about research. You ask somebody one question, they answer that and then tell you a whole bunch of other stuff. Stuff that, you know, you just go, what? That never. Oh, my God. And, and immediately you think I'm having that. That's going straight in the book. So, yeah, there was a lot of that. I heard some great tales. Uh, and I understand that it's available on Kindle. Yeah, I mean, all the books are available on Kindle. I mean, all the books are available anywhere. I, I, I have no problem with how, any, how anybody experiences one of the books. They can, they can read a physical book. They can be all, all analog about it. Or they can download it onto their Kindle or onto their phone. They can listen to the audio book. In fact, the audio book of Rabbit Hole, I would thoroughly recommend because it's narrated by the brilliant Maxine Peake. Uh, whose voice, that was the voice I had in my head when I was writing it. And when it came time for the audiobook, and they said, Do you think of any actors? I went, Well, you could ask Maxine Peake. And then lo and behold, she did it and did it magnificently. But on Kindle, I understand for this month, it's 99p. It is. It is 99p for the whole of this month on Kindle. What are you waiting for? That's all. That's less than a pound. I mean, I've read it. It's worth at least a pound. Thank you, David. Thank you. So, uh, so yeah, so it's 99p on Kindle. Now, you talk about you, you're, not, you're not too fussed about where people get this from or get the book from, but presumably yeah. not a library. You're not happy with libraries. No, of course I'm happy with libraries. Uh, 
I mean, it's it's a little unfair, but writers do make money from libraries. It's not a not a huge amount. Uh, you get you know naught point naught naught one pence or something every time one of your books is taken out. But you'd be amazed how that adds up, and it and it and it gets to a top figure where once you hit that, that's the limit, and you can't make any more than that. That's because they want to share it around. It's called public lending, right? And yeah, writers do make money from libraries, and I and I completely support libraries. And every library in this country that shuts is a disgrace. And because people don't just use them to get books, actually, you know, uh, people use libraries for all sorts of reasons, so they need to be supported. But yeah, if you want to get one of my books out of the library, you go right ahead. I will do. I will do. I don't need to. I've got it for ninety nine p on Kindle. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of rabbit hole, I thoroughly recommend it. Anybody listening, if there's if you if you have 99p of course you have 99p uh then uh go and get it it's it's definitely worth a read if you don't if you haven't got a kindle go and buy it as an actual book it's a real page turner and even my son who came on holiday with me was invested in he was he asked me what the book was about and he was invested in what the outcome was okay how old's your son he's 12 he didn't read it okay yeah Probably wise. I, I didn't. I didn't give him all the details, but I explained to him what it was about, and you know, and I don't want to give yeah. too much away. But he was. He wanted to know what the outcome was. Okay. Well, well, I, you know, I, I almost guarantee that anybody who reads it won't know what the outcome is <laughs> until they read it. Now, um, we're going to play something from the Seahorses, uh, which you haven't chosen, and uh, uh, the Seahorses. Interesting fact for the Seahorses is the guy who was the lead guitarist from the Stone Roses set up the Seahorses, and the Seahorses is um, is an anagram of he hates roses. And we had the lead singer of the Seahorses on, and he said, "Oh, no, that was pure coincidence. It's not. It can't be." Of course so not. The reason we're playing that is it's 25 years since that came out. But then after that, we're going to go straight into an Elvis Costello song. Why did you choose an Elvis Costello song? Well, this is this is uh, a song that Elvis released at, sort of at the height of Britpop. I wanted to, uh, I could have picked any Elvis Costello song. He's my favourite artist, and but I wanted to find out, you know, go back to what he was doing in 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 1994, uh, and he released an album called Brutal Youth, which a lot of people said, oh, this is a return to form because he'd done other stuff before then, classical album and all that. But this was him back with the attractions, uh, and this is such a, a absolutely blazing album. And this is my favourite track off it, which is called Kind of Murder. Well, you will never. Hear this again on the Britpop show. We're going to have the Seahorses followed by Elvis Costello. Right.
bit of Elvis Costello on the Britpop show. Never before. Uh, <laughs> you need we, more. We need more Costello on the Britpop show. Well, it turns out we do. I've just that, because we played two songs back to back. It gave me a chance to look at all the uh, all the questions in, and we had a question here from Mark, uh, presumably no relation, who says, hmm. "Great to hear the 1970s band The Jam on the Britpop show. Please, can you ask Mark which era he prefers? Jam, Style Council, or Weller? Jam." Sorry, it's got to be jam. Uh, no, I'm not apologising. Um, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying that that, that Weller hasn't done some amazing stuff since the jam, but nothing's going to beat Eaton Rifles. Um, and I saw them. I, you know, I saw them at the end of the seventies, and they were just awesome, an absolutely awesome band. No, I love the jam. Seventy, it pretty much seventies for me all the way. Actually, um, I just think it was the most amazing decade for music because you got everything. You've got anybody that says music in, in the 70s was rubbish. You go, hang on, there must have been something in there for you. There must have been prog or then there must have been glam rock. And then there was punk. I mean, for heaven's sake, come on, it's all there. You, all there. You could skip from the 70s to the 90s, though, quite easily, I think. Oh, happily. Very happily. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah good, good. <laughs> we agree on that. Now, you have a new book out called The Murder Book. What's that I do. about? Uh, the murder book is it's back to Thorn, and it's a kind of drawing a line under a lot of things that have been bubbling up in recent books. It's the return of of Thorn's kind of nemesis, his Moriarty, if you want, who's a, who's a uh, character called Stuart Nicklin, who's been in a few of the earlier books. And people have been writing to me a lot in recent years, going, "When is Nicklin coming back? Because he's at large." Uh, and this is when he comes back, and it's Thorn's worst nightmare. And, and um, who is Stuart Nicklin? Is he your optician, or, or who is he? Uh, he's, I mean, he's a stone cold psychopath who, who, uh, but who's he based has, on? Like who's the, oh, he's not the name? Anybody. No, no, no. I was at school with somebody called Nicklin, not Stuart, but I was at school with someone called Nicklin who was a very unpredictable kid. Uh, and I always wanted to use the name. So yeah, I got, I got my chance. Uh, and like I say, it's out in, pa- in Harback at the moment. I'll, I'm waiting for the paperback just because uh, it's too much effort holding it up in bed. It's, it's like a gym session. I get that. I get that. So yeah, the paperback will be out, I think, in January. So you've I not not the nineteenth. Okay, you you know more than I do, Dave. <laughs> so it's out, it's out on the nineteenth of January. But actually, if you do like a hardback, it's only about nine quid on Amazon at the moment. Well, this is the point. You know, hardbacks are priced at you know twenty pounds, but everything is discounted these days. So it would have cost you it would have cost you about twelve quid in the supermarket, and now yeah, it's probably not nine quid on Amazon. So it, there's no excuse. Now, talking hardback or paperback, you've picked a Beatles song. Yes, I have. Uh, again, this is another song that the, the Fun Loving Crime writers cover. And why wouldn't we? Even though it's not about crime, it is about our day job. Uh, this, the Beatles were just absolutely on fire around this time. 1966, recorded during the sessions for Revolver. Paul McCartney just challenged by his auntie. I think his auntie said, oh, could you write a song about anything, Paul? Yeah, of course. And he just picked up a book and wrote this. Wrote this. Do you know how many different people have covered this song? I looked it up. It's been covered by the most bizarre list of artists. The Shadows, Kenny Rogers, Sweet, The Mighty Sweet, and 10cc. All sorts of people have covered this. It's And, and we do it. We, we, you know, it took us about, about a month to get the harmonies right. But just what an incredible song this is. Well, let's, let's hear the original. You're listening to The Britpop Show. Sponsored by Creation Day Festival. Playing the best and the rest of Britpop. Paperback writer. Bye. 
show now we have mark billingham we've had him on uh, talking about all his favorite music and about all the stuff that he's coming up and there's one more thing that we need to talk about on the 16th of october mark will be at the cheltenham literature festival the cheltenham lit festival or the sea lit festival as i think they should re- rebrand it <laughs> uh, it's 12 pounds i haven't checked if there's still tickets but if there are still tickets there can't be many left mark you'll be joining us in the cotswolds I will, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of my favourite festivals, Cheltenham Literature Festival, the oldest literary festival in the country. Uh, I've done it n- numerous times. The band have done it. Uh, but I'll just be on stage being interviewed, gobbing off about this, that and the other thing. Uh, yeah, thoroughly looking forward to that. Come along, come along. Absolutely. Uh, £12, absolute bargain. In fact, uh, for twelve ninety nine, therefore, you could get uh, Rabbit Hole, which you'll no doubt be talking about, and a ticket. Yes, you could get a ticket and a book, and then you bring the book, and I'll sign the book after the event. What are you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting I've, for? I've already got my tickets. So, uh, guys, uh, thank you. So, first off, thank you very much, Mark. I really appreciate it. Massive fan. Um, thank you. Thank you for your choice of music. And oh, listen, being asked to pick some favourite songs is uh, is always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Brilliant. And we're going to finish with one that you chose um, by Catatonia. Yeah, uh, just because, again, uh, it's based on a true story, a very, very dark story. Another song the band have consid- considered playing. We haven't got around to it yet. but And I love the fact that Keris sings in a Welsh accent. Which is weird because most artists, when they sing, they lose their accent. But she managed yes. to. Keris. <laughs> uh, so thanks again. Uh, and for everybody listening, see you on the flip side. If all you've got to do today is find
Since you 